The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, which may be many of you now because of, uh, I got inspired by Pat Baginski there. He cleaned up his act. He got rid of that big shaggy beard. And so I did the same. I'm just teasing. But uh, my name is Bob Gonzalez. So I'm a member here and the dean of RBS. And uh, I've been asked to give a report on my trip to Zambia which I did the first part of February. So I left on January the 31st, and um, I arrived there on February the 2nd, and ministered there until uh, February the 12th, and then came back. And so I'm gonna be giving a report this morning about that trip. Um, But before we begin, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that the gospel has been running and has had free course since the days of the apostle until now. And that our church, its very existence, is proof that the gates of hell have not prevailed and that Jesus Christ is building his church and will complete that project unto the end of the age. As we consider this this morning, particularly Christ's work in Zambia, we pray that you would enlarge our vision, expand our horizons, and encourage us as we consider the great works that Christ is doing. May we also, Lord, be provoked ourselves to proclaim the gospel in our own community, to plant churches, to evangelize the lost. And we ask these things, Lord, for your glory and our good. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, when I go on a trip like this, uh, you know, the mission is at least in part for me to uh, to go there, to teach, hopefully to be a blessing and to edify and instruct those uh, that I'm going to teach. But I always come away from these trips very edified myself. In fact, I feel oftentimes that uh, I'm the one who primarily has been ministered to. And that certainly was the case on this trip here. And so as I was thinking about this report, I thought of, of a passage of scripture I would read just to sort of prepare ourselves. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul is giving thanks for the faith of the Thessalonians. And so in verse 2, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. In other words, Paul is saying here he was certain that these are in fact the elect of God because of the fruits, namely that faith which was producing work, that love which was producing labor, and that patience 
which was, or that hope which was producing patience. And these fruits were giving evidence of their election. And he goes on to say this, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of God has sounded forth. And the Greek uh, word on which the English phrase sounded forth is based on is the word that uh, I think we get our term to echo. So God's word has reverberated uh, from these believers. You ever wonder how it is that your pastors, uh, the great messages that they preach are going to get uh, outside of these four walls, the answer is when you and I are sounding boards. When the word they're preaching here is echoing off of us as we go out into the community. And that's what was happening here with the Thessalonians is that, you know, Paul was preaching to them and then they were taking that word and they were echoing it, as it were, uh, all about so that Paul goes on to say here, we don't need to say anything. Now, of course, that's a bit of hyperbole there. Paul's not saying he's going to stop preaching, but he's making a point that uh, there's a sense in which he didn't even have to preach because they were doing it for him. And he goes on to say this, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath of God. So that's the gospel. And that gospel was being proclaimed and reflected in the lives of these Thessalonians. Now, hopefully this morning, that's what we're going to see uh, when we consider the church in Zambia. We're going to see the word of God being proclaimed by them, being reflected in their lives, and hopefully that will be a great encouragement to us this morning. Let me give you a couple of uh, just quick facts about Zambia. It is located, in case you didn't know, in South Central Africa. It occupies a space of approximately uh, 290,000 square miles. And so just by way of trying to compare it, uh, to the U.S., you can see that, um, you know, it's going to cover several states there in the northeast, but that gives you kind of a rough idea of its size. Uh, before its colonization, various native ethnic groups populated the region. Most of these groups traced their ancestry to the Bantu people who occupied much of east, southern, and central Africa. Um, and then from the Bantu people, there were many other sort of variations and ethnicities that came forth from them. In 1855, uh, the missionary David Livingston explored the territory and he named the great waterfalls on the Zambesi River, the Victoria Falls. And some of you may, I don't, has anybody here visited the Victoria Falls? I wish I could say I did. I just didn't, 
uh, include enough days to make a trip there, but I hope to do it if I go there again. Um, and so he named it Victoria Falls. Uh, later on, a town near the falls was actually named Livingston, and so that city is still there today by that name. In 1888, Cecil Rhodes, the magistrate of the British South Africa Company, which was a mining company, he obtained the mineral rights from local chieftains, and he received a charter from the British Empire to colonize and mine the land, and that colony became known as Northern Rhodesia. So, you know, historically, it wasn't called Zambia until more recently, but it was called before then Northern Rhodesia. And uh, the British government founded Lusaka as the capital of Northern Rhodesia in 1913. Uh, Southern Rhodesia, which is right over here, that would be uh, Zimbabwe. So this is Zambia up here, Northern Rhodesia. Uh, later on in 1924, the colony became a protectorate of Britain, which means that it, it gained some of its own uh, autonomy, not complete autonomy, but it was able to, to in, in, engage in the government. Um, it could, you know, kind of govern its internal affairs. The British Empire would protect it. That's why it's called protectorate. And then finally, in 16, uh, 1964, Northern Rhodesia gained its independence, became the public Republic of uh, Zambia, under the leadership of newly elected Kenneth Kaunda, and uh, currently, the government is a presidential, representative, democratic republic, you know, similar in some ways to our own. The main industry in Zambia is mining, primarily copper. Uh, in fact, there's a region there called the Copper Belt, and that's why that one little college, that seminary up north, is called Copper Belt Ministerial College. Over 80% of the country's exports are mining, or I think maybe copper, but it might include mining as well. There's also agriculture, tourism, and uh, uh, hydroelectricity. Uh, Zambia is a country with a lot of raw resources, a lot of potential economically. But right now, you know, they're trying to, they, they need infrastructure and they need to borrow money to get infrastructure. And uh, one of the things I learned there that was interesting is that, uh, you know, typically the Western countries have been the ones to loan money to countries in Africa, but now they're beginning to put stipulations that if you want the money, you have to, uh, you have to kind of promote the same sort of moral agenda that we do in the United States or in Europe, you know, uh, LGBTQ, uh, diversity, equity, whatever that training and all of that. So many of the countries in Africa are just saying, okay, fine, we don't want your money. And now the Chinese are coming in and they're saying, we'll loan you the money and we're not going to tell you how to run your government, your country. You do whatever you want. So, um, so it's interesting because you see on the news, you hear about China gaining influence in Africa and you kind of feel like, oh man, that's too bad. But uh, there's, a, there's a reason why. And uh, so anyway, just thought that was an interesting uh, fact. A um, couple of more things about Zambia. It's a uh, population about a little over 19 million. Uh, its main language is English. 
and I should say, when I say English, it's, it's primarily their influ inf uh, influence, as you can guess, by the British Empire. So their, their accent's going to have a little bit more of a British uh, sound to it, although it's, it's unique to Africa as well. It's not exactly the same as British. Uh, they have various uh, vernacular languages, Bemba, Nyanja, Lozi, Tonga, Luvale, Lunda, and Kaunde. I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right, but I'm trying. And by the way, as you'll see in one of the slides, I, I got to sit in on a service where they were singing some of the hymns in uh, one of these, a variation of one of these languages. Uh, the currency is Quacha. And uh, I, I can't remember, it's like point 27, point 28. Anyway, the, the dollar goes a long way there. The, the, you know, the quacha isn't very strong against the dollar. So, so if you wanted to go there and your money to go farther, it would. Um, I think I looked at like what it would cost to rent a house, a really nice house there. And I, I think I could rent a pretty decent house for about $300 a month. So, anyway, too old to move there now, but <laughs> the main religion is Christianity. Uh, as you can see there, you've got 75% are Protestant, 20% are Roman Catholic. Uh, there's 3% is, would be Muslim, maybe some Hindu, uh, and a couple of other, you know, little cults and things like that. Uh, and then there's a small minority that would just say they're not religious. All right, so my trip, I left the 31st of uh, January, and uh, I traveled from Florida to New York, and then I took a 13-hour trip. That's the longest I've ever been in a plane. I didn't like it. All the way to uh, Kenya. You know, I don't know what it is, but you can't, in the economy, you, you're at such an angle where it's just, I can't sleep, you know, no matter what. I took those blinders and earmuffs and head pillow and everything, and I just, I think I got about maybe two or three hours of sleep. And then uh, I stayed in Kenya one night. There was a layover, and then from there, I went to Lusaka, Zambia. And I arrived here in Zambia. There's Lusaka. Um, let me just sort of highlight that. That's the capital. It's kind of in the south, south central part. And then you guys have heard of uh, Copper Belt Ministerial Academy uh, College. That's in Endola, and that's up north. So I arrived there on Friday at Kenneth Kaunda International Airport and was kindly picked up by Benson Nakausu. He's the uh, college administrator for Lusaka Ministerial College, and uh, he's a dear brother. I mean, he served me faithfully while I was there, shuttled me around, got me food, took care of me. He takes care of the students. He's employed full-time by, by the college, um, and so he was a great blessing. Um, I also met on Friday Ronald Kalifungwa, He's the principal of the college. He's also the pastor of Lusaka Baptist Church. And uh, that's his house. And uh, this right here is his 
garden. Um, I, I really should say it's, it's, uh, maybe it's primarily his wife's garden because she's the one who does most of the gardening, he told me. But it's, it's, it's big. I didn't, you, I didn't get the whole thing in there, but it's huge. Um, and uh, I told him, I said, you know, you're kind of being like Adam. You've got the Garden of Eden going there. But uh, he's a dear brother. M- many of you guys have, have heard his name for years and years. He was once pastoring in Linwood, Africa, South Africa. And we prayed for him there. And then eventually he came back up to Lusaka, which is where he's from, to pastor the church there. And this is my lodging, uh, nomad court and lodges. So they took really good care of me. Uh, some of you may have thought, well, you know, is he going to be staying in a, in a hut or something like that out in the bush with the lions and uh, elephants? No, I didn't get to do that. So this is the lodge. Very nice facility. Had a little desk in my room. So it was really nice. Well, what's nice about this is that they really do think about the speakers because when you go someplace to speak for over a week, you do need time to kind of get away from everybody to prepare and pray. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, your hosts don't always think about that and, and it really runs you ragged. But I got plenty of rest, so that was a blessing. Uh, and I also had plenty of food. That was my breakfast, T-bone steak, pork chops, and then I included this. This technically wasn't in Zambia. This was in uh, Kenya in the airport, uh, or not in the airport, but in the place I stayed. Uh, That's crocodile tail. You might be wondering, did it taste like chicken? I thought it tasted more like pork chops myself, but it was good, very good. No teeth in it either, you know. All right, so on Saturday, February the 3rd, um, I ministered at uh, Chisomo Reformed Baptist Church. This is in a very, very poor area of the city. It's an area where there's a lot of crime and gangs and all sorts of things, but uh, this church has been there since 2000, and I'm gonna say more about each church a little bit later, but... uh, these were a bunch of either pastors or students um, who had come, and, and I spoke on the topic of uh, keeping the heart of a lifelong learner from 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we did some singing there, and I put one of the hymns up there. I don't know if you can see it very well, but uh, this is the language. So. I, you know, obviously I didn't know what they were singing. I got back and I, I typed these words into the Google Translate and it, and it recognized the language as Chichewa, uh, which is a variant of one of those, you know, seven main languages I put up there earlier. I think it's Nyagu or something like that. But anyway... Uh, and, 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 and this song is basically encouraging someone to persevere. That's, that's the idea behind the hymn. Um, so it was, you know, very encouraging to be with these brothers there. Uh, and then on Sunday, I ministered in the morning at Kabwata uh, Baptist Church. And as you can see there on the right, this is the church where Conrad and Bayway pastors 
Um, and it was an encouraging time. Uh, I preached a message that I had preached here because my, as you're going to see, that my focus in teaching there was on Christ in the Old Testament. So I thought, well, I'll give them a little bit of a sample. So that's what I preached on. And then that afternoon, they wanted me to go preach at a little church plant of Kabwata. And uh, this is pastored by Kambuli Milion Jr., a dear brother. He's a, a former intern of Kabwata and a graduate of Lusaka. And also, he is now one of their professors, one of their lecturers. Dear young man. And there's some of the men. We, we actually held the service in the afternoon in his backyard. So he has a, a home. It's kind of more out in the country. And so you see where we're standing right there with those men. I didn't get a picture of the congregation, unfortunately, but there were probably about maybe 30 people that met there that afternoon. And they wanted me to speak. They wanted me to give them a lecture on covenant theology. And I said, are you sure? I mean, this is a Sunday service. And apparently a lot of the people that go to his church are, are you know, younger couples. They're college educated. And they're just learning about covenant theology. And so they want it. So I try to keep it simple. Why covenant theology matters for the gospel. All right, then Monday, uh, February 5th through Friday, February 9th, um, that began the teaching ministry, which was the main purpose for me to be there, is to teach a modular course for their seminary, and the students actually get credit for this, two credits, academic credits. So this is their college. It's actually meeting at one of the churches, uh, and this is a church plant of Lusaka Ministerial Academy, or I'm sorry, Lusaka Baptist Church, Keep getting these mixed up. And uh, I, I wondered, because as you're going to see, Lusaka Baptist Church has uh, huge facilities. And I asked them, why, why are you not meeting there for the college instead of this smaller place? But he said that this is more centrally located for the students that they're training. And some of these students don't really have access. They don't have their own car. That's how poor they are. So they have to ride public transportation. So that's why they're meeting here. So uh, I lectured on the topic of finding Christ in the Old Testament, mainly from Luke chapter 24, but I also looked at many, many other different passages. But I talked about why. Why should we seek to find Christ in the Old Testament? Why is it important? What does it do for us? Uh, and then secondly, what, what should we expect to find? That is, what about Christ does the Old Testament tell us? Where in the Old Testament should we find him? Do we expect to find him in every verse, on every page, in every chapter, in every book, uh, or where? And then, uh, and how? And that's obviously where we spent most of our time looking at various principles for interpreting the Old Testament in a way in which, you know, Christ is the central theme. So... Uh, it was very lively discussion. I lectured for about um, three, three and a half hours every morning. There was a lot of Q&A in between the lectures, breaks, and so on. But it went very well. And these are just some pictures here of some of the guys during our breaks or in between lectures. Um, this right here, as you can tell, is their library. 
they have a big storage unit on their property and uh, they have an air conditioner in there and that's where they have their books. So they have more books and boxes they, that they want to unpack, but they can't. They just don't have space. And so their prayer is to raise money so that they can take another facility, or I mean another storage unit, join it to this one and enlarge it so that they have room to unbox their other books. Uh, these are some brothers there, and I, I put these two guys up because this guy right here uh, Emmanuel is an RBS graduate. And he lives in Nigeria. Both these guys are Nigerian. And then this guy over here, Joseph, is a member of the church of one of our students, uh, uh, Osinachi. And uh, so they were, you know, very excited to see me. And uh, these are both dear, dear young men, and they're both hoping, Lord willing, to become pastors. Uh, the reason they're in Zambia is not so much to study at the college, but primarily to be interns at the churches there under Conrad and Pastor Ronald. And then at the end of the uh, at the end of the time, Pastor uh, yeah Pastor Ben, the college administrator, gave me a little gift, and uh, I think I put a picture of it in here. There we go. So a nice clock with a little, you know, plaque appreciation. And so it was a very special, very generous people. And that was, the, that was more or less, uh, I was told that there were a little over 50, uh, but sometimes not everybody was able to be there for every session. So I think they counted about 46 people in this photo here. But uh, these are either pastors or students preparing to be pastors. Um, but it was very encouraging. Uh, it's interesting because I thought that these men would be a little bit more like they are in the Dominican where they're just more lively and, and uh, amening and things like that. But I think maybe because of the influence of the British upon them, <laughs> they're just quiet. You know, you have to get them going and they're, they almost... I don't know if they think it's disrespectful to interact or, or uh, whatever, but they're just, uh, you, you know, see, but once you get them going, they're fine. Um, you just almost have to give them permission. Hey, I'm an American. You know, you guys can get loud here. <laughs> and then on Saturday, uh, I gave a lecture to the staff and faculty of Lusaka college as well as the Copper Belt Ministerial College. So they came down, the professors and the uh, administrators of Copper Belt, and they asked me to give them a lecture having to do with theological education. So here's what I did. Nine marks of a healthy seminary, borrowing from Mark Dever, of course, giving him credit. And uh, you, I, I thought you might be curious what I gave as those marks, so, and I got input from the uh, board. Uh, so grounded in Holy Scripture, and, and there I just emphasize the fact that it's not enough to have this on paper. Okay, your seminary needs to practically ground not only the content of its teaching, but its, its ministry philosophy in Scripture. That's very important. And, and it may seem like a no-brainer, but theological seminaries often drift from this commitment. They still have it on paper, but it's no longer in practice. 
centered on Christ's gospel. And that's where you just want to make sure that your seminary is not uh, becoming imbalanced by overemphasizing its distinctives, its secondary doctrines, and underemphasizing what should be central. Many of you remember the illustration that uh, Ted Donnelly gave about Jimmy Durante. What is he remembered for? His nose. Is that how you want to be remembered when you die? The guy with the big nose? Of course not. You know, I want to be the, you know, the good husband, the great father, uh, you know, Christ-like Christian. And so in the same way, as a church or as a seminary, we don't want to be known as the people with the big noses. Uh, because we overemphasize our distinctives and we underemphasize Christ and the gospel. <clears throat> Humble and confessional orthodoxy. So we want to be confessional, we want to be orthodox, but we just don't want to have a chip on our shoulders about it. We want to be very humble. Based in the local church, all right, Jesus, through the apostles, commissioned the church to train men for ministry. And thus, you know, we don't want to be independent from the church seminary. Oriented towards the Great Commission. That means that, you know, we're not just filling heads and warming hearts, but we're preparing hands to do the work of ministry, which is in large part to take the gospel to the nations. So our seminary needs to reflect that. That needs to be our orientation. And then holistic in education and training. I know this sounds corny, but I was just trying to, you know, get a lot of stuff in here. So I was thinking about a training which is not just specializing in something. Uh, we're training men to be sort of general practitioners, pastors. So we're not really training guys to be eye doctors, okay? It's fine to be an eye doctor or a heart surgeon or whatever. But, and in the same way, it's fine to be a, a Hebrew scholar to specialize in that or a church historian uh, or a, you know, ancient Near Eastern this or that. But, but that's not our primary focus as a seminary. We'll send them off to universities to do that. We want to be holistic, you know, biblical studies and historical studies, systematic, uh, practical theology, and so forth. We also want to be holistic in the sense that we're not just focusing on the head. We're focusing on the heart and on the hands. So there is that sense in which our teaching needs to be devotional, and it needs to be practical, and not only that, we need to make sure that the students are engaging in uh, practicing what they're learning, okay? So that's the sign of a good seminary, healthy seminary. And then faithful and efficient in its stewardship. Um, this is, you know, part of what accrediting agencies look for. Are you delivering on what you say you're offering? So if you have on your website or in your academic catalog that this is what we're giving the students. Uh, and by the way, this is why you don't want to put in your catalog or website, we are the best, in the world, okay? Because then you gotta live up to that. Uh, so you wanna provide a good product and you wanna make sure that you're, if you say, say you're doing X, Y, and Z, you wanna make sure that you have learning outcomes that demonstrate that's what you're doing. Um, and then transparent and truthful in communication, which kinda goes along with what I just said above, but um, it, you know, there I just talked about practical things like on your website, you don't wanna just put this big cathedral or, or buildings if you're really just meeting in a little hut. 
Uh, you don't want to give the public the wrong idea about who you are. So you want to really communicate to the public who you are, who your faculty are, what your academic standards are, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, <clears throat> fraternal and relations. We're not out to compete with other seminaries. Um, if there are other good seminaries, we want to commend them and we want to cooperate and work with them. And so anyway... Those are the nine marks of a healthy seminary. I also included under number four, and, f and uh, I'm sorry, number six and seven, the whole idea of you know, high academic excellence as well. Uh, so that's the group of men that I spoke to. Again, those are men that represent both institutions, Lusaka as well as uh, Endola Copper Belt. And then uh, Sunday, I ministered February 11th to Emmisdale Baptist Church. This is the same place where the college meets. And uh, there was the congregation, and I preached on Christ's look of mercy from Luke 22. This is the pastor, Isaac uh, Makashinyi. He's also the academic dean of Lusaka Ministerial College. And after I preach, this family over here, um, this is uh, Justin uh, Lumbanya, his daughter, and his wife, Edri Vioni, Lupele. And the reason I put them there, just a super sweet family who they're, they're leading other people in their neighborhood, apparently, in Bible studies. And so when they found out, somebody told them that I had written a book on Genesis, they wanted to take me out to lunch and just spend lots of time talking about Genesis, the identity of the serpent and the, the first gospel and the curse and what does that signify. And that young lady, I'll tell you, she had tons of very intelligent questions. So, uh, hey, if anybody's looking for a wife, any of you single guys. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> All right, and then in the afternoon, I ministered at Lusaka Baptist Church. I mentioned the fact that they have huge facilities. They have a really nice building. Uh, it started off where they just had this little sort of like a chapel. That was their first building. And then later, under the leadership of Ronald Calafungua, they built this whole big thing here. <clears throat> Holds about 1,000 people. So there you see it. And uh, I preached the same message there. They had just had a funeral uh, the day before. So I just wanted to keep something simple and encouraging. <clears throat> and then the last day, Monday, I went to look at souvenirs. Uh, let me just warn you. If you go into these places, uh, there's usually about, in every hut, like five or six people. And each of them, like, owns a different table in here. And they're each trying to get you to look at their table, and they don't want you to leave their table until you've bought something. And so I told them, the first day I went, I actually went there before this Monday, and I just told everybody, I'm just looking, I'm just looking, I'm just looking. And, and, and they didn't like that, you know. And so then I went back here, and I decided what I wanted. But uh, a lot of good things there, a lot of neat things. And then uh, I went, they took me to the airport. That's uh, Conrad... Uh, to my right, and then to my left is Ronald Kalafungwa. 
And those men are, you might say, patriarchs. They're, they're, God has really used them mightily. Then I got into a snowstorm. It took me 15 hours to get back to New York um, from Kenya. And then I got in a snowstorm, so I was supposed to get home earlier, and I, I thought I was going to have to be there a whole night uh, just sleeping on the floor of the airport. But thankfully, they got me late um, Tuesday night, and I got home, and my dear little wife had that there for me. Whoops, I didn't mean to click it twice so quick. Here, I'll go back. <laughs> so she got me a nice little card. It was Valentine's Day the next day anyway, so. All right, a few things about these churches and then some prayer requests. So uh, Lusaka, you know, that's the main church uh, I went there to minister at. Um, that church was founded in 1956, constituted in 1960. They have 10 elders, 10 deacons. Ronald Kalafungwa is the lead pastor. And you can see here on the back wall by his office, they have pictures of, you know, the pastors that have been there over the year. A lot of these guys are from England. And then the first pastor from Zambia would be this man here, Joseph Simfukwe. And then Alfred uh, Nirayenda. And then they had another man from England, Nigel Lacey. And then here, Ronald Kalafungwa has been there since 2006. 600 members, um, so that's a big church. Uh, they've planted 21 churches, not counting churches planted by their daughter churches. So there are 65 Reformed Baptist churches in Zambia, and those churches have been uh, either directly or indirectly, you might say, planted by Lusaka or Kabwata. And as you're going to see, Kabwata was planted here by Lusaka. Okay? So this, this is the mother church here. Um, they, they have a local pastor's fraternal with 11 churches there just in Lusaka. And uh, 30 to 35 pastors that attend that. Then uh, Kabwata Baptist Church planted by Lusaka in 1981. Constituted independent in 1986. Called Conrad and Bayway in 1987, adopted the 1689 in 1990. Their current membership is at 400, a little over 400. Uh, their leadership and staff, they've got nine elders, eight deacons, two pastors are fully supported, seven administrative staff, 14 missionary pastors, five pastoral interns, and 23 ministry staff. And all of these people are to some degree supported at, this, you know, at various levels but they have quite a thriving ministry. They even have a publishing ministry now, and some of Conrad's books are being published by them. This is their missions board, um, and these are people directly supported by them. I think I counted 17, um, but uh, yeah, it's just tremendously encouraging. I think church planning is really in their DNA. And uh, it's, it's contagious. When you go there, you just think, wow, they are very zealous for getting the gospel out to their country. Uh, Emmisdale Baptist Church was also one of the main churches there. This is, again, where the seminary is. That was planted by Lusaka Baptist Church in 1997. 
They've got three elders, five deacons. Their membership is about 118 at present. And then Chisomo Reformed Baptist Church. This was planted in 2000. Uh, two elders, no deacons. Current membership, 25, uh, averaging about 40 in attendance. This little church here has been through some challenges because they have property and they built this building. They actually had more property than what the building is actually on, but a word of faith, which is the health, wealth, and prosperity uh, gospel, an organization came in, bribed the city council, and took some of the property from them. And so um, they, they finally ended up deciding, I'm not sure why, but they decided not to fight it in court. And, uh, and so, but they're persevering, and... Uh, We'll pray for them. Silverest Central Baptist Church, this is a plant of Kabwada. Three elders, three deacons, and their current membership is about 34. And then Lusaka, uh, founded in 2010, 67 graduates from the main campus, 37 from their satellite campus in Mongu. 40 students currently enrolled at the main campus and 30 students in Mongu. And that's their faculty and staff. I won't bother reading all of the names, but uh, you can see that God has really blessed them. Um, Some matters for prayer. Uh, So Pastor Ronald sent me these. uh, Pray for their faculty and staff. Uh, Pray for the students, their upcoming graduation in July, their recruitment, their growth. Pray for financial resources to meet the needs of many of their students. They're, like I say, some of their students are very poor. They have a hard time affording the tuition. One of the things they need is they need uh, a way to get books to the students. It's, it's, it's very expensive, and it's difficult to get books shipped. And so the better route is to get inexpensive or you know, cheaper models of Kindle readers in their hands and then they can get the Kindle books and, and you don't have to ship those. They can just download those. And uh, so pray that, uh, you know, one of the ideas I had was to, you know, maybe try to see if there's a way we could help subsidize because they don't want to give anything away free. They charge, even the poor students, something. But sometimes it's helpful if you can subsidize so it doesn't cost them as much. They're going to be launching a new degree program. Uh, they're also, like I say, they're still doing building projects like adding to their library. And then for the church, um, they wanted us to pray for MS Dale and Chisomo for revival, salvation of sinners, church growth, and the building projects of those churches. And then they have some new church plants in Zimbabwe, so they're going outside of Zambia, in uh, Tanzania, northern Zambia, and uh, he just mentioned that the missionaries in Tanzania and uh, Chinsali, which is northern Zambia, uh, are in need of vehicles. So these are things that we can pray for. Um, any questions? And I can go back if, if we want to look at that and pray, or we can wait and maybe pray in a prayer meeting if the pastors prefer doing it that way, but their question. I know something we often mention when we pray for is
Yeah, I think it could be similar to that. The idea would be um, for them to maybe every year give us an estimate of new students. Let's just say they have 10 students or 12 students uh, every year. And then, you know, we would try to think of, um, they would give us a, what they think the students can afford. And then if we can find a tablet, say a tablet costs, I don't know, they vary, but say they pick out a model that's a $200 Kindle tablet, um, we could try to cover a certain percentage of that and maybe take up donations. Or I even thought about reaching out to some of our supporting churches, our, our graduates from RBS, seeing if they'd want to contribute to such a fund. But that would be, that'd just be one idea, one way that we could help them. And one of the reasons why I did go there was to talk about our affiliate relationship. So I went over a memorandum of understanding with them talking about our expectations for them, their expectations for us, to make sure that if we're gonna endorse and put our name on their diploma, when the students graduate, that, that they're maintaining good academic standards. So that was discussed, and uh, they're planning to sign that agreement, and we're gonna sign it, and so we're gonna be entering into that affiliate relationship with them. Oh. That was, uh, thank you, whoever did that, that little bell that basically said. So, real quick, will you be open to uh, emailing those prayer requests? Yes, I'd like to do that. And, uh, and then like if the, if the pastors are okay with it, maybe, you know, just one Wednesday or something, we could even put those up more specifically. And I think I'm out of time, but I, maybe just one question. They, they have a very aggressive internship program and they're preparing men to do church planning and they mainly do a lot of uh, ground zero type church planning. And what they do is they pick people from that community. So, so if they get a man doing an internship, they'll say, where do, you, where do you live? And is there a church there? And if there's not, then let's plan a church there. And so they'll go there door to door, reach out to people, uh, start meeting Bible studies, and then, you know, over time, a church is planted. Jeff? One thing, if you're interested to know more about what they do, um, I don't, it's been three years ago, I think, at the Reformed Baptist Network GA, uh, we had Conrad Mabewe speak on this subject. Yes. All his messages were about church planting, and they were very helpful and, and inspiring. Very inspiring. And, and I don't know if they even have, the, I don't know if they'd have the Q&A uh, recorded, but that was really good too. And he might even answer those sorts of questions. But uh, yeah. And you know, it, 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 there may be factors too that make some of the church planning there maybe easier for them than, than they, maybe they don't have the same challenges we have here. But, uh, but it is encouraging to be there and to see their, the zeal that uh, just the ordinary lay people in their churches have for the gospel. So I told him before I left, I said, you know, a few decades from now, you guys will be sending missionaries to the United States. <laughs> we need it. So, all right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your tender mercies and what you're doing there. And we're so humbled to see your grace and these brothers and sisters in Africa. We pray that you continue to bless them richly we thank you that they're not just concerned with building their own local church, but they're concerned with planting other churches. They want to see the gospel spread, not just through Zambia, but throughout Africa. 
and the rest of the world. May you bless them in their holy ambitions. And we thank you so much for this uh, time for us to consider this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.